Welcome back to episode 8 of the Anglo Almani Society podcast. Today I'm really excited to welcome Camelia Lemke, the Oprah of Education. Camelia is now the head teacher of New World International School that has come over from Singapore to Muscat. Although education was not her original career choice, she now has had over 20 years of incredible and invaluable experience and is paving the way for how Oman and the world view the future of education. This podcast is longer than usual, but I promise it's oh so worth it. To all parents, teachers and students listening, I hope this is a breath of fresh air into your views of education, especially during current times. Thank you so much Camelia for joining me today. I'm a massive fan of yours, having met you in person, listened to your TED talk and just had all the amazing things other people have to say about you. Teaching wasn't your original path, so please could you tell us a bit about yourself, what you do and how you got here? Absolutely. First of all, Dina, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm honored to be here. Education, uh if you look at my career since uh, I've been alive, you'll see that education is definitely my forte and it's what I do for the last oh, 20 some years. But how did I get here before that? So, I was born to two amazing parents who were doctors and they um were very successful at what they did and it was just assumed that we would all go into the medical field and we would all become doctors. So that was what I thought about all my life when I'm going to university um I started to take courses the sciences were a breeze for me I enjoyed doing biology I enjoyed doing chemistry so I figured yes I can do this when I started to work in my as an internship I got an internship in MD Anderson which is a cancer hospital in Houston and what we did was I was there just to help as a candy striper but also then I could start watching procedures um just minor procedures just so I could start getting into the medical field. This was 6 weeks and in this 6 weeks I have never been more down. I wouldn't quite say use the word depressed, but I was very very down. I felt so guilty as to why I was healthy versus all these other patients in these hospitals that had to stay there from kids all the way up to adults and it just really really took a toll on me on my emotions um my dad tried to turn it around and say well you know you could actually help them and you're helping them getting better but i just did not view it as getting better it was just very down and very um sad to see all of them so i took it very hard emotionally and this was my third year of pre med in the states so we had four years of pre med and then we go to med school and so after three years of doing a degree you only have your final year what am i going to do so i started to freak out um i was dating uh a man that he was long distance who is now my husband i was talking to him on the phone and i said i don't know how i'm going to tell my parents i can't become a doctor i don't know what i'm going to do and he said that uh well what do you like doing and i said well i love tutoring kids and cuz i did that just to make extra money on the side and he said why don't you become a teacher and i almost fell on the floor i was like <laughs> teacher nobody becomes a teacher a teacher <laughs> i laughed at it and uh then took a couple courses in my senior year I had a bit of space in my schedule took a couple courses absolutely loved 
what they stood for, what uh, things I was able to do. Ended up um, graduating uh, a year later than I was supposed to. So actually it was five years in college versus four because I actually got my teaching degree and um, started out in first grade. And that's how I went into teaching. It was just the joy on the kids' faces. When their eyes light up, it's like, yes, I've accomplished something. So it's very rewarding. That's amazing. So I listened to your TED Talk and, you know, this was a really good way to understand you and your kind of method of teaching and just who you are as a person. And the one thing I picked up on at first was um, how you mentioned about children's kind of what we see as bad behavior when actually, you know, this isn't necessarily bad behavior, but it's a way of a child expressing themselves, maybe showing the creative side or just how they think. So like in a shorter summary of what you spoke about, please, could you tell us that again? Sure. So, the big thing with us is we uh, have been taught or conditioned throughout our lives to think what's right and what's wrong, what's right and what's wrong. And there is no gray area. So if a child, for example, messes up a room, okay, instead we will take the perspective that messed up the room and it's wrong to mess up the room. There's always a different way to look at things. It's all a matter of perspective. So if you just take a step back and see what have they created in messing up the room. So if, for example, you have Legos all, all over the floor, let's take a perspective and take a step back and look at what have they actually created with those Legos instead of concentrating on what they've messed up. Because as you look at what they've created, you encourage that child to become innovative, to say that they, to, to give credence to their innovation. So we talk, of, let's move to the future. And if you look at what jobs are available, more jobs are coming today as jobs that require innovation right? Mm -hmm. And how do you create that child to be innovative? Well, every child when they are born naturally are innovative because they have to think of creative ways of how to get your attention. So for example, if a baby's sleeping or if they're lying quietly in their crib, is the mother going to attend to them? More than likely not, right? Yeah. If the baby is crying and screaming, then the mother is going to run to them and get their attention. So the baby all of a sudden put their neurons together and said, oh, I need to scream out. I need to cry. And that's how I get my mother's attention. So when a mother, when she's had the baby for a while and she's a brand new mother, so let's say a few months, she says, mm -hmm. this baby cries all the time. Well, the baby's crying because we have taught it that that's the way you get attention. So the baby was innovative in how to get your attention because we all crave attention. So what I was talking about in my TED talk was our biases are what's right and what's wrong. You have to remove what you know and take a different perspective or an outlook on life to decide this is what they are trying to show. This is what they're trying to do. I think there was another example of a child that had um, paint all over their hands and they go to show the mom that paint on their hands. The first thing the mom is gonna do is say, oh my God, why did you paint your hands? But if you actually looked at the way they use the colors in those hands, when the paint on their hands and she puts her hands together, it makes a heart. 
And so it's many times that we we take the perspective of only what we've been taught of what's right and what's wrong. Let's begin to be innovative in how we look at things in everything in life. And when you take a different perspective, you actually can see the joy in that. And you see the happiness and you see what creation came out of that. And when you see that, you yourself are happier, you yourself are calmer, you yourself can respond to things. And the person, the child or who you're speaking to, the student, actually sees the value in innovation and sees the value in what they did. And they are actually become more um, confident in who they are and actually are pre uh, able to be more successful and better people in their lives. That's such a clever perspective, understanding that parents in turn kind of need to have a bit of patience and just kind of need to take a step back from the situation and then analyze it a bit better. I'm just thinking about when kids are young and they make such a mess with their food instead of getting angry because they've just made a mess, like just kind of see what's up. That's really clever. Just to add to that, just a little thing when you said about they making a mess with all their food, look at how much have they eaten on their own. So you were able to eat half the bowl of spaghetti on your own. That's amazing. And that child is going to aspire to do three quarters of the bowl next time and a full bowl the next time. So it, that, that, it, with that perspective, you're actually encouraging what they've done. Based on the way you, you know, you've given this really great perspective, like if we look at the education system, this seems to never have changed. I just think it's just been so stagnant from how we sit in the classroom to the textbooks we read from. What is your view on this? Why hasn't this changed? Well, if we think about education at the beginning, we think about the industrial age. We think mm -hmm. about an age where we had to increase literacy. We had to be able to increase the manpower to be able to function to do the jobs of running a factory, whether it's running it or actually working within the factory, right? And mm -hmm. the, the, the industrial age took that. So we had specific jobs and people had to understand how to get there and you had to increase this knowledge to the masses, okay? So when we saw that this knowledge was working, then you actually, now we start to see that, okay, we're out of the industrial age and we've moved on, but our education has a system because if you think about it, our education is a huge system. It's not just K through 12. It's K through 12. It's the nursery schools. And then, of course, it's the um, higher institutions. And if you're talking about making changes in your nursery and your K through 12, then you also have to make adjustments in your higher institution. So let's take a step back. When, why do people go to school? They go to school because they go to school. They have to get an education. To get an education, I need to do well. Why do I need to do well? In order to go to my university, in order to get a, to, into a good university and then get a job. Because we were basing people on what they got their degrees and then that's how they got jobs. But let's take a step back and we look at entrepreneurs and we look at the Michael Dells and we look at all these people that have dropped out of school did barely finish high school and have become these successful business people, successful engineers that have moved on and be able to um, be successful and make the world a better place. And then you think, well, 
those are outliers and those outliers we've we've given excuses for them because what's happening is our parents are rearing our children right so our mm -hmm. parents were brought up in this industrial age and they had to go to school and they lived in this education so they come back and they uh, now are rearing their children and they're putting them into schools now what's happening is you have this outlier again word of a, of a school that's doing something innovative but the parents are not going to send their kids there because they're not used to looking that perspective it goes back to the perspective of i talked about looking at what's right and wrong and not having that gray area. So if you look at education, this is what education, it got me to be successful. My children have to go through the same thing. So any school that was looked at as an quote unquote outlier, weren't the people were not going there because that was not an education that was revered. Education takes time. It doesn't produce something very quickly, but it's exactly like I said, K through 12, it's 12 years that they go through schooling and then they have to go through universities. So what happens is we want to see quick results. If we change the education to be an innovative methodology, we want to see results, but you're not going to see those results. You'll see them five years, 10 years later. When that innovation has matured and these kids are inquisitive and they'll be able to put those tools to use and become successful and build a better world. So what's happened is we have allowed the education to stay stagnant while everything around us moves. And then finally, when the companies and the jobs are saying, we don't want you, that's being produced, the students that are being produced from the universities, whether it's Harvard or whether it's a university in Timbuktu, we don't want the everyday person that's come out from there. We want the innovative person. We want with somebody that's come up with something creative. So what's happened is, for example, I don't know if you're familiar with an IB education, mm -hmm. which is the International Baccalaureate. That is a program that's been around for wow, uh, more than 20 years, okay? But that program has, it has evolved over the years, but the science behind it was talking about children and utilizing their inquiry mode and their inquisitive mode and their different type of ways that they learn best and taking those into account into the model. Now, this IB model didn't jump on the bandwagon. It was very early on, but most schools didn't even adopt it. Slowly slowly schools started to adopt this methodology why because of necessity they say the mother of invention is what necessity and that's what's happened so we've got this need for innovative people and people who can come up with these creative ideas and create jobs for themselves basically as entrepreneurs do and because of that now we're saying oh, oh, oh we need to go back and change our education but actually those models are actually out there we just haven't been utilizing them. So utilize those models and start revolutionizing education. That's amazing to understand it from that view. So like, who are the ones that really need to, you know, make that change in the system? Is this a collaborative effort to kind of move forward? I, I think that's a very good question, Dina, and I'm so glad you asked it. It's definitely a collaborative effort, but it also, we need to be very open 
In order for education to be transformative, we have to be open. So when we started to speak about taking a different perspective, let's mm -hmm. throw out the window what we have been talking about. That's the way it is. That's the way it used to be. That's what works. Let's throw that out and not be scared to jump off the cliff because there will be something there to save us. We just have to figure out what are the different ways. If we need to start looking at our kids because our future is in them, they have a lot of ideas that they can bring. Because education took so long to evolve, nowadays it's going to take time to evolve. And in order to evolve, we are going to have to seriously take a look at what is grasping the attention of the kids what is getting them to pay attention but they're on video games all day and we need to cut their time on ipads and we need to okay hold on a second you need to cut their time on ipads because what because the way that's the way it used to be or because it's destroying their eyesight or because our muscles are being fatigued and they're not utilizing them so you know Let's really start taking a look at perspective of what is it that we need to change? What is grabbing our kids' attention so that we can start teaching them that? Do we still need to teach English and math and science as individual subjects? Or do we need to start teaching them as, lack of a better term, unit of inquiries? Okay, we're talking about, for example, how the Rube Goldberg, Rube Goldberg is a model that um, he's created a device that takes several steps to do something in order to achieve the end result you're trying to achieve. So let's say we're teaching this to students. You can teach them about the Rube Goldberg and what it was and what it represents. And they learn how to write about it. They learn how to research about it. They can, math is involved with whatever numbers. They have to do the engineering of measuring when they're building their device, so on and so forth. What I'm trying to say is maybe we need to take a step back and not even teach subjects but teach units and then incorporate the different types of things within that unit and let's start educating our teachers to how to do that because again it's that what comes first the egg or the chicken so our universities that are educating our teachers okay out there they're saying okay would you want to um, specialize in science do you want to specialize in english do you want to specialize in math well, no, they need to start specializing in how to educate how, uh, students. How do you facilitate information? So purely teachers have to stop being the lack of a better term dictator. They have to start being a facilitator. So they, so when you have students in your classroom, we are facilitating the information that they have already at their fingertips. They, any kid can go on the line and learn about anything. What we are there to do is to really educate them on how to access that information and how to expand your thinking so that you're accessing all angles and to understand and decipher what is right and maybe what's not so right or maybe what's not exactly true or not factual. Um, 
it's providing that learning environment that students can feel comfortable to learn what they want to learn, as well as be open to learning new things so that they can understand it. And this is a huge transformation in education because we're still very used to, I want to be in charge and I want to tell you what to learn. And we have to erase that model from every angle. We're working together to understand what does this model look like. So we have to be very open and also open to not just because I'm in Oman, I need to learn from a school in Oman, but let's think bigger. We could be learning from each other together worldwide. And if we're starting to drop the borders down and work as a globe, we could really take this significantly farther than anything it is today. That totally makes sense. So on the subject of innovation, you are the new head teacher for New World International School. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And this has just opened up in Muscat and it's from Singapore. Having seen some of the images and things that you have shared with me about the school, it honestly looks so cool. Please, could you tell us what makes this place so unique? So New World International School is truly reinventing and innovating the learning experience for students. It's providing the technology that's available currently and providing learning spaces where children can be innovative and actually create new things for tomorrow. The school has an infrastructure that actually right now spans over 10,000 square meters and the land is actually 30,000 square meters and we will be expanding in the next couple years or so and the purpose for this infrastructure is to provide all different kinds of learning spaces for students to thrive okay so in the last question we were talking about having units of inquiry this is project-based learning you're actually understanding several different aspects to one thing so it's not just about whatever the project is but you're talking about providing different aspects to it so that you can learn the entire you can do the entire project but learn different aspects whether it's math science or whatever the case is in that one project now in order to do this you have to provide learning spaces that are conducive for that for example in a library you don't just have tables and chairs but you actually have steps where kids can have areas where they can lie down and read or they can lean up against the sofa. In the classrooms, they have collaborative spaces where they can, uh, if they want to sit on pillows and talk amongst each other and brainstorm, or they can have chairs and uh, tables that go together into a group, or they can work individually because they need that time to work individually. They have open learning spaces, such as areas where there's a lot of greenery so that it enhances that I'm one with the earth and how do I connect one-on-one. And that open air actually gives you more room to breathe, to be able to think, to feel more comfortable. So you're giving this opportunity to children for whatever that they can thrive in. That we have two different music rooms where they can try either wind instruments or they can play different types of instruments. They want keyboards. You know, they can learn from this and they can learn all these different aspects within the musical arena. They have art rooms that they can, even in the kindergarten rooms, they have chalk walls. So the kids can actually draw on the walls when they're 
trying to come up with whatever they're trying to learn. So the idea behind it is providing these open areas and these spaces and these areas where you're not going to say you have to sit in a chair and a desk and this is how you're going to learn today. Because there is a place and time for that, but not at every moment and in everything you're learning. I think even as an adult in our offices, we need like spaces like this. Um, yeah, yeah, and Google started to do that. So we should yeah. start following the model, right? Right. So you guys at the school also teach Cambridge and IB curriculum. And these two curriculums that you guys have picked, are they ones worth implementing? Is there a specific reason? Yes. In deciding what curriculum we wanted to choose, um, because in schools in Oman, a lot of schools here do offer Cambridge curriculum, specifically in Oman, because that's where our facility is. So we decided it really doesn't matter what core education curriculum you're using, whether it's Cambridge or whether it's Common Core or whether it's IB. There are just many different ways to get across the information that you get across. So we chose the Cambridge curriculum because it works well with our population and our students here and also that it lends itself and it's open to be able to be fused with other teaching methodologies which in this case we chose the IB teaching philosophy okay and why the IB teaching philosophy the IB teaching philosophy uh, it's IB stands for international baccalaureate and it's really about utilizing the learning profile and that means the way the student learns learns and utilize uh, figuring out assessing which way they learn best and using that methodology in order for them to be able to understand material so we use the teaching philosophy from ib whether it's units of inquiry whether it's taking for example in cambridge we have very specific areas where science math so we have fused those into units of inquiries and we're utilizing the pyp model in order to get the information across so Cambridge is really the source of information and IB is the teaching methodology that we're using to get that information. Okay. The learning framework I noticed of the school has this four-dimensional approach with the aim to make every child a future-ready global citizen. Could you touch a bit about this? Like, What does that mean? So we have the 4Q, which there are four quadrants, four parts of a child when they're learning. And these are just our approach to how we teach kids, okay? So it's actually a learning framework. And let's talk about what each one in, in holds. So we talk about one that's called cognitive skills, one that has to do with the attitude, social skills, and sustainability. And I'm just gonna touch a little bit on each one because these four areas, when you start to address each area and you address them properly, we have taught the whole kid. So when we talk about cognitive skills, these are the basics of what we usually think education is about the academics the arts the culture technology behind it the athletes the what sports are they learning how are they moving their bodies so the cognitive skills is really what you usually think about in education when you talk about attitude you're talking about how is the child and the student approaching education are they approaching it with an open mind is the teacher approaching teaching that child with an open mind 
Are we allowing our children to be risk takers? Are we allowing our children to be innovators, entrepreneurs? What attitude are we allowing the child to have and how are we helping them to be able to have that good attitude to be able to be successful in life? The third aspect that we need to address is their social skills. If a child is not emotionally open to education, they're not going to learn, regardless of how good the teacher is. If a child is not tolerant to different methodologies of teaching and of learning and different subjects, then they are not going to learn. So are we allowing our students to have the empathy? Are we giving them the space? Are we giving them the tools how to express their emotions and how they're feeling? And once they have been able to express that, they can express their learning as well. And a part of their learning is going to be how to express their emotions. How do they reflect on what they actually have learned? This is a big part of education that we really haven't taken a strong look at. Yes, we have counselors in schools. But let's embed that in the learning. Because when I learn how to express myself, I also learn that if I'm having a bad day, somebody else could be having a bad day too. So let me listen when you're speaking to me in my job or in whatever we do, I'm open and I'm listening. So I'm approaching each day with an open mind. The fourth quadrant is talking about sustainability. So yes, we can teach a lot of new things. But is this actually a long term thing? Is this actually sustainable in the world we live in today? Are we being responsible? And let me take a step back. When we talk about sustainability, you're talking about how am I contributing to allow this world to be sustainable? So we teach responsibility. We teach the children to be independent. So teaching children that the globe is one that we are together as one. And if we each take care of the areas that we're in and we each are kind to people and we each take care of the environment we're in, then we are actually providing a better place and it is a sustainable place that we will continue living in. So once you've hit these four areas, and once you've addressed each of these areas in your learning, whether it's the academics, whether it's the attitude towards learning, whether it's the social skills that yes, we're ready to learn and we feel and we come with an open mind and yes we're providing these spaces we're responsible for continuing this on once you've addressed all four areas it's a complete framework to how the children learn and how the teachers are teaching in this methodology Wow. What I love about all of that work is that you're actually not putting each child all into the same category. I really like that. You know, all these kids are unique and different and we need to make sure that we can accommodate all of that. Right. Yes, um, definitely. When would you say your perspective began to change? Very good question. I was reflecting on that actually just recently <laughs> because a parent asked me that. I think the best way to describe it was I was blessed in my career because when I changed and decided to become a teacher... I was actually a teacher for only four years. Most teachers go into teaching for about five to 10 years before they go into administration. With mm -hmm. us in my district, so in the States, we have districts, and then you have elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools that are all a part of that district. So our district was forward thinking, and they said that they really wanted to grow their administration from within. So what they did was they asked people to apply as teachers, and then 
then if we wanted to go into administration and they actually provided scholarships where they would pay for the master's program at the University of Texas in educational administration and then you'd come back and you of course you'd have to work for the district as an administrator so I was very blessed to be a part of this program and in that we had two years of great educational program at uh, University of Texas and then when I was actually in my first year I had an opportunity to work th with the superintendent of middle schools who again was very forward-thinking uh, her idea she what she brought to the district was called learning walks and at that time that was unheard of so let me give you a bit of background information teachers know whenever you're in your job you have KPIs right and in your KPIs you have to fulfill these goals and then that's how you evaluate it so in the education field we have teachers they have specific goals that they have to fulfill and then the administrators will come in and watch them and then you're given a score and this is how you're evaluated on how you did my superintendent what they brought about was called learning walks and learning walks were actually where administrators walked through the building and we sat in classrooms and we were there to learn how the teacher was teaching. So we were there to learn what innovative teaching methodologies they're using in the classroom in order to say, oh, this is a great idea and let's start taking it on. And then those teachers actually did professional development to teach other teachers. So what I'm trying to give you a small example is my superintendent started me off immediately with stop this hierarchy of I'm higher than you and I'm going to evaluate how you're doing. Uh, rather, I'm going to go on a learning walk and let's start looking at innovative methods. And then that encouraged the teachers to be innovative, to try new things in the classroom. Because if you were called on to do a professional development, that means that just reinforced what you're doing was right. So my mentor was amazing in just showing me to take that step in being innovative and how do you empower your staff to be innovative because it takes all of us to build the future so when she taught me how to do that then i became the assistant principal at my school and i actually did these learning walks with my teachers and my principal again was really good also another innovative principal who encouraged this and loved the ideas of learning walks and we went on these learning walks together and then carried it on in the district to teach other principals. When I saw that methodology being used, I said, this can be used in many different ways, in teaching, in students teaching. So even when I ran an international school in Oman, I had to teach a class once a month. So I went into different classrooms and I taught that class. And I had to find an innovative method that the teacher didn't use so that I had to use a new way of teaching in whatever subject that were there teaching and because we had all different subjects being taught I had to come up with different methodologies but it also encouraged my teachers to be innovative in that methodology because they wanted to push me to think so it wasn't just everyday rote learning and then it just carried on. I love how you brought your ways and what you'd learned over with you. And I think that's so important for change to happen. So if we take away the school that you're currently at, so the New World International School, how do you view the current education system in Oman? We need to remember what groundwork was laid for us. Before mm -hmm. our late majesty, Sultan Qaboos bin Said, 
the literacy rate was at 3%. So 97% of our men was not reading. So when our late Majesty Sultan Qaboos bin Said came about and actually put in schools, we had three schools, we moved to a thousand schools. It was for the methodology of getting everybody to read. Literacy rate had to go up because that was the only way we were going to move our country. Now, when you think about that in 50 years, that's what happened over 200 years in most other countries. In our country, that has mm-hmm. moved 50 years, which is a at a phenomenal rate. So people yeah. will take a look and we will say, is our education system on par with the rest of the world? Are we behind the rest of the world or are we ahead? And in most areas, we are behind the rest of the world. And that's even when you see different rating systems systems. But why are we behind? It's because we have moved so quickly in 50 years. So if you just purely look at where we've moved, we are much farther than anybody else would have been in 50 years. So our education system, it's a little unfair when you look at it according to the rest of the world uh, without looking at the perspective of how quickly we moved. That being said, now we have the tools of how to move our education much farther and to be not on par with the world, but actually ahead of the rest of the world. We do have the tools of how to do that. It's just taking the moment for all of us as educators and as government bodies and people of the private sectors getting together, collaboratively taking that initiative, saying, yes, we are ready. We are going to move our education system and take it to the next step. And we will be definitely on par and if not ahead of the rest of the world. And really, again, I hesitate when I say that because I don't want to say, you know, to take us apart from the rest of the world. I want our education system to be one for the world so that we are working one as a globe. Educators, and I know maybe I'm jumping into another topic, but COVID has allowed us to take a step back and start to work collaboratively because it started to become a rat race in the education world. Which system was better? So we'd hear about Finland, we'd hear about Singapore, we'd hear about these pockets in these different areas of the world. But COVID, we actually had to say, well, take a step back, put your brakes on, let's just remove our masks and call a blanket a blanket, you know, call a person a person. We are educators. Now let's collaboratively work together in order to say, how are we going to change education? Because education has to change and we've all been waiting for it to change. And now because of the necessity of going online. I have gone through all kinds of webinars all throughout this whole COVID time, starting from March. Educators from England, educators from the United States, from Africa, from Singapore, from China, from Japan, from Australia, from all over the world. We would get on these webinars at all hours of the days and trying to get together okay this is a situation we're in how can we work together to make this work and actually make educational benefit fall and that was the first step in transforming education and we just need to continue on that methodology and we will take it to the next level 
virtual learning has obviously now become vital in everyone's lives if they have children and education how would you say that's actually affected children has it been beneficial was it needed it was definitely needed because we had to come up with how are we going to get information across otherwise children would have been just stagnant and they would have been educating themselves because nobody stops learning we continue to learn every day whether we're going to school whether we're going in our jobs whether we're just sitting at home we're learning now what you're learning again that's a different thing right if you're learning how to do a tiktok or if you're learning how to do snapchat or whatever the case is so we as as educators had to take a step back and decide what do we want education to be and it had to be online so how are we going to do that in a most effective way and I'll tell you honestly Dina we are still learning how it has to be effective we're still coming up with ways of how to not lack of a better word entertain the kid but you have to get the attention mm -hmm. of the child and then we're trying to get the information across so one of the things that parents have complained about, rightfully so, is the amount of time they've had to spend with their child specifically in the lower grades and how do we get these children to pay attention online and how do we get them to do their homework and XYZ. So when uh, recently we came on a webinar together and they asked me, what are you doing in your KG classrooms? And what are you doing in your first grade and your second grade classroom? I told my teachers, I said, let's take a step back. What is homework for? And it's to practice the skill. Okay, then let's give them a way to practice so that it doesn't become cumbersome. It doesn't become burdensome. The second thing that parents complained about is the amount of time they're having to sit with their kid in order to pay attention. I said, okay, why is this so? And the teacher said, because the kid doesn't know how to turn it on, or they don't know how to mute their mic, or they don't know how to listen, or they're distracted with whatever's going on. I said, then we need to set a set of expectations. So we had to develop a set of expectations of what online learning was going to be. What were the expectations of the student? What were the expectations of the teacher? What were the expectations of the parent? And the third thing was to make those classes invigorating and innovative so that the children would pay attention. So one of the things that they came up with was called a Bitmoji classroom. Now, you know your Bitmoji that you have on your phone, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this is a Bitmoji classroom. So the classroom is designed and it's a great program that's online. And the teacher designs it and then curates their Bitmoji. And then that Bitmoji talks to the kid and says, okay, can you find the blue square on the screen and touch the blue square and the kid will go touch the blue square and then that square will lead you into another link that will give verbal instructions and then press the record button and tell me how you're feeling and then the kid would talk back now yes is it a lot of work for the teachers absolutely we're double the planning that we were planning before but maybe that's what it takes and maybe we need to start looking as administrators what kind of spaces we're providing for those teachers are we demanding that they have to come to school and they have to teach from the classroom or is it that the teacher wants to come to school because all their tools are there that they can teach with if they don't want to come and they actually have all their tools at home are we allowing them to stay home and teach because they can be just as effective so this is all in the perspective and all in this in learning we have really had to come together and say let's 
remove our biases exactly as we spoke at the beginning we come full circle and let's start thinking openly of what this online learning is going to be and what it's going to look like the question is well we just need to go back to school well do we need to go back to school and why do we need to go back to school once covid is quote-unquote gone away or we have a vaccine or whatever the case is and children can safely be together because do they need interaction absolutely we need interaction as human that is our basic instinct we need connections with each other it's like you and i having a dialogue right now yes but of course we mm -hmm. can't wait to see each other we like to see in person there's something about the facial expressions of the person when they're speaking so we need that connection but we may have that connection on a different level we may have a great teacher in china that knows how to do this project learning basis on a specific specific area and then I'll use another teacher from Oman on this particular topic and that's why the technology that we're using will gather all these people from these different areas and using this expertise in these different areas so they don't have to fly. Our world is becoming smaller because of the technology that's enabled us. Now let's start utilizing that in order to think differently and utilize what we've learned from the online learning. Sure we'll be doing some direct teaching show will be doing teaching in the classroom but we'll also be doing it utilizing these tools that we've learned and utilizing the expertise that we have all over the world and start working together in order to use education what it's there for to access information to become a better version of yourself that's probably the best outcome of covid I've had. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could design your ideal educational world okay let's just imagine you get to set the world standards for education how would you envision every school every education system in a summary an educational institution has to provide the tools that the students that the future needs in order not just to survive in tomorrow's land but to be able to thrive and what do i mean by thriving i mean that if i've given you tools of how to be inquisitive how to be innovative how to feel confident for who you are i am confident enough to ask a question that I'm not embarrassed because I don't know this. We will work together as one race. We need to stop thinking about creed, color, gender, and what these barriers have stopped us from understanding that the benefits of celebrating these differences and understanding what benefits they bring. So if I am a teacher or if I'm an educator, I don't have all the answers, but what I do have is I have the open mind to come out and to facilitate, to help you understand what it is you want to learn. So you're coming to me. I don't know how to use my hand wells. My handwriting is not good. I can't type fast on a computer. Let's increase your motor skills. So this is a great way to do that. I don't know how to do that. Let me reach out to my colleague in England in Oman, in Canada. And let's start working together as educational institutions in our different areas of expertise 
to teach our future, our globe, our kids that are going to make this world an extraordinary place. And that's what we want. That's what we enjoy. It takes us so much time to build a friendship with one person and to feel comfortable so that when I go out without makeup for women or without a six pack on my abs, why are we embarrassed to be who we are? And once you start darkening or shadowing those parts of it, you are preventing yourself from being open to everything that's available. So if I tell you that if you ask me, how's your day today? And I tell you my day, it's stressful because I've just got so much going on. And then you'll be like, oh, okay. So I don't have to be on my best. I can just be myself. And now I can tell her what's going on. And then we can talk. So it's not about complaining, but it's about being open to each other. And once we have that open-mindedness to communicate with each other, we can create these educational institutions to be able to come and learn what you want to learn. And it's okay to come to this school today to learn this, but in Miss Jenny's school in China, it teaches this better, so I want to go and learn that. It doesn't mean that I don't like your school, but let's start working together as educational institutions to do that. Wow. I'm sorry. Every time you speak and you say something, just the passion <laughs> that I told, I told you this before all of this, I said you were the Oprah of education for me. So, um, I'm so humble. <laughs> so finally, what would you say are your top three subjects that should be introduced into schools within the next five to 10 years? Is there something that isn't there yet that should be? Yes. Value, human value. We have to start educating our students and appreciate what is human value in everything we do. It's not just a subject, but it's what we surround ourselves. When we start emphasizing that each human is valued, then we start feeling confident with who we are and we start opening and sharing what we know and knowledge is spread. Education should be something available to every human on earth. And just the meaning of education is to teach or to learn something that you didn't know before, right? It's just getting that. So for yeah. me, it's definitely human value. Now on a bit of an opposite spectrum, what subject do you think globally and in Oman needs a whole new revamp? Discipline. I think discipline needs to be re-looked at. I think when you think of the word discipline, you start to think of what did I do wrong and how do I correct? Discipline is not about that. Yes. Discipline is self-discipline. Be able to get myself ready so that what I want to accomplish, this is what I want to accomplish, and now I am geared. And how do I gear myself to do that? So even as teachers, when we talk about are you teaching discipline in the classroom, it's not about teaching discipline in the sense of every kid is sitting and listening. But again, it's about have you given them the tools, how to be proactive in their learning. So they are disciplined at learning. So it's not about a subject of science and math and English, but it's about the subject of discipline in the sense that I am well prepared to go out and achieve my dreams and to be able to succeed at it. And what are you giving in that inner part of each child? You are giving them discipline so that they are aware of how to take care of themselves, how to emotionally be sound, how to be able to open their minds up to access all that information that comes in. I think even as adults, we still need discipline. So 
for parents now what are your key takeaways for parents listening to this podcast oh that's a good one uh, <laughs> i would say because i'm a parent of four kids so you can imagine i'm thinking oh okay what do i want to hear i think instinct parents trust your instinct you know what's right for your kid so trust it if you feel that your kid needs to stay home because they don't feel well today, let them stay home. They miss one day of school. It's not a big deal. You know, that's just in today's world. I'm just thinking about parents and they're bringing up kids and they're so worried about, oh my gosh, where's the parent manual of how I bring up my kid? And I'm going to tell you, throw out the manuals and you know what you need to do. If you want to read, how do I do this better? Or how do I do that better? Or when you have teenagers, how do I listen to them instead of, you know, having those conversations? constant arguments and battles, then yes, of course, there are plenty of books out there. But number one, trust your instinct and know that you were worthy enough to becoming a parent and be proud of that and embrace it and say, wow, I am blessed with this child. Now, how can I help them? And this is how I'm going to help them. You're going to make mistakes along the way. But those mistakes came for a specific reason. They were orchestrated for a reason. And the kids can learn from that. I'll give a small example my son was playing with my daughter in our bedroom and they were playing with a golf ball and my daughter threw the golf ball and he's throwing it back at her and when she threw the golf ball they broke our 65 inch whatever tv okay and i was like and so so she goes i need to talk to you when i came home from work and she said before you go in the bedroom i need to talk to you and i said sure and i sat down and she told me oh my god this is what happened and i totally blame myself and that she broke the tv when she threw the golf ball and i said okay i need you to think of three things and she goes okay and she's looking at me like no yelling no shouting no this and literally i just took a <laughs> breath in and i breathed out and then i started talking to her and i told her i said what what did you feel when you were throwing the ball what did you think it was okay to throw the ball in the room and she said well i was a little hesitant so i asked aloe my son to move to the right so he was farther away from the tv so i said so you were hesitant she says yeah and then i said okay so why so when you threw the ball you weren't listening to your instinct so she says no I said so what did you learn so she goes I need to listen to my instinct and I said absolutely and the reason that was so important to me for her to listen to her instinct was because that instinct is going to save her from making a bigger mistake later on sure she made the mistake of breaking the tv and i asked my son what were you thinking when you were catching the ball i was really worried about catching the ball so i used two hands i said so you listen to your instinct using two hands she he said yes i said but your instinct knew that there could be danger of throwing that ball and you could break something in the room he said yes so i said so you didn't listen to your instinct and he said yeah so i think that what i'm trying to say is that your instinct knows what's right but so many times we're not ready to try Trusted because we've been embedded this is right this is wrong this is right this is wrong and instead of trusting who we are it's like going back to what we talked about innovation right there's an innovation in the messy room and we're not seeing it because we're so taught so once we start looking and trusting our instinct then you will become so much better for it and i think that's what i'm going to tell parents nothing else if you get that you are amazing just having that child and being able to bring it up 
up. We all know as parents, we want to do the best for our kid. So trust that instinct, trust it, and you will do what's right for your kid. Going to students, what would you say your key takeaway for a student who wants to get the best out of their education? Be open, be ready to accept. When you're a student and you're sitting in that classroom, remember that maybe the teacher is not reaching you the way you'd like her to reach you. So communicate that. If you communicate that as a student, tell your teacher, I didn't understand the math. Can you help me understand it? So many times we're scared because we think of this hierarchy. There's the teacher and I'm the student and I'm not as important. You are as important. And if you don't understand something, that's okay that you don't understand it. So ask for help. Remember, be open to what you're learning because you may need it down the line somewhere. If you don't understand why, ask the teacher that as well and see how it applies in real life because everything you learn has something to do with real life. Just see how you can apply it. How does it go with something? And once you understand that and you're open to learning new things, I guarantee you guys, you are going to make this place absolutely amazing. Just extraordinary. So just keep being awesome as you are amazing and lastly what would your key takeaway be to a teacher listening you guys don't forget why you went into education because we surely don't make money <laughs> but teachers why did we go into this i know there as administrators or as government bodies we give you so much that you have to worry about but try to put that aside and remember why you went into this you went in to see the joy and the sparkle of that kid's eyes and that's what you do every day and you will make mistakes as you teach and you know what as long as you learn from them you are gonna be amazing so just know that i thank you so much for choosing this career and oh wow thank you for doing what you do and making our children more successful and being better human beings that was everything Julia. thank you so so much for doing this podcast everything you have highlighted is actually an eye-opener i'm truly honored and really thank you for being so amazing Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Although I left education a while ago, Camelia has given me a whole new perspective within this realm. We really hope that you learned and enjoyed hearing everything she spoke about today. If you would like to learn more about the society, please head to ao-soc.org and we look forward to welcoming you next week.